Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the cost of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Hi and welcome everyone. I am cheesed. (laughs) I think we have to have conversations. I I think one of the things we've always said, Sarah, we talked about the importance of having conversations and not shutting things down and really opening up dialogue. But I have seen over the past, you know, couple weeks that particularly in nursing, and I shouldn't say like, it's not just nursing, it is healthcare in general, that, you know, conversations surrounding things that people might say or would consider to be controversial tend to get shut down pretty quickly. But it's actually a very, very concerning precedence to set because it is silencing. Like at the end of the day, there's no other word to describe it other than, you know, silencing and putting fear into the hearts of, you know, nurses or other healthcare workers. Before we get into it, why don't you tell the folks what we're talking about exactly? The whole tagline and the history behind why we started this podcast is we want to talk about things that are hot topics and things that people may shy away from and talk about hot topics we shall. (laughs) I mean, this is a really interesting topic. It brings up a lot of strong emotions in people, I would say. And it kind of made me think about why um, when we ask certain questions, why we get such a negative response. And you think about when we're young, right? When we're kids, we ask questions nonstop. It's like question after question after question. And somehow as we get older, it gets beat out of us. And, you know, I think about when you get in trouble for asking questions, a lot of times it's because either the person doesn't know the answer but doesn't want to let you know or it's going to take too much time and effort to find the answer and they don't think it's worth it or they're trying to hide something or maybe it's a combination of all three. So I kind of think that asking questions should be encouraged. It shouldn't be shut down. It shouldn't lead to negative responses and at the end of the day, we're just trying to get answers and I think that should be something that anybody can do. Absolutely. Like I I think back to the fact that like you said, you know, we we should question things. And I think that is actually a healthy exercise for everyone to have that, you know, you don't take things just on face value or just because someone said so or just because it's written down in a piece of legislation. We need to ask ourselves really difficult, difficult questions as to why these things are precedented, why these things have exist, and why we continue to, you know, follow the status quo. I think 
when we think about, you know, um, strikes or, or, you know, even we just passed Labor Day, why we have these mechanisms in place, it's really, again, I think this is what people need to think about when they're when they think about, you know, the, the word strike, because it's not a bad word, I actually had to write that down in a tweet that saying the word strike is not a bad word, but it, it um, causes a lot of emotions in folks when they hear that word, especially within the healthcare realm, because one of the things I've seen people say is, oh, you know, if nurses go on strike, they're going to just leave patients to fend for themselves. And, you know, look at all these people that are dying. Hyperbole. Like, please don't do that. There is no nurse or healthcare provider in this world that would walk out on a patient and just be like, ta-ta, bitch, take that. No, we would never do that. We have to think about why people would say that. And again, I think that's fear talking. If someone says to you, well, you know what? The end of the day, you're walking out on your patient. I think that's fear speaking. That's not logical sense because I don't think anybody would just walk out and walk away from their patients. I think there's much more tactful things that can be done. Right. So why don't we talk about then why nurses would strike or why nurses have gone on strike in the past? A lot of times it's because they are looking for better pay and benefits. So if that's something we've been talking about for a long time, right. uh, lighter patient loads. There's actually a lot of stats to show that about 65% of nurses said that hospitals are using too much overtime to staff units. I'm surprised that number isn't higher. Mental health support. So there was a recent survey that said about 67% of the respondents reported that they were afraid they would contract COVID. And then even worse, nearly 84% said they feel stressed more often now than they did before the pandemic. They are looking for safer work environments. So these are just some of the reasons why nurses have gone on strike in other areas. And I think there's a multitude of reasons. But, you know, like you said, Amy, it's not about abandoning patients. We would never do that. At the end of the day, we are striking for better conditions so we can provide better care to patients. Absolutely. And there is actually a history of strikes that have happened here in Canada particularly with nurses here, and maybe we could talk about strikes that happen, you know, overseas. This is not a unique situation that has occurred. So there was an Alberta nurses strike in 1982. There was a Manitoba nursing strike in 1991. There was actually um, an OPCU, I believe, strike just, um, was it, I believe it was 2021. We spoke to those nurses as well. Um, this is not unique and it's not unique to Canada as well. There are there are countries and um, in the UK, we've just heard of about a national strike that's happening out there. Um, there are lots of different um, places in the United States that have talked about strikes and that have gone on strikes. So again, I think this is just, we need to have more conversation. We can't sit and just say, you know what, it's illegal. And that's it. Because I think that at the end of the day, there's so many things that are illegal. And if we didn't you know, if, if somebody didn't say something is really wrong here, we need to think and do things differently. Yeah, you know, people were thrown in prison. But you know, at the end of the day, they made meaningful change. And I, I, I remember someone saying to me online, they said, you know, you can't compare apples to oranges. It doesn't make any sense. You can't compare this moment in history to another moment in history. 
uh, actually I can. And the, the thing is, the reason why people make these movements or take these actions, they're usually really selfless. It's not like they're saying, you know, I'm striking to, to, for the betterment of just myself. They're usually thinking about a collection. So that whether it's a collection of people, a collection of society against poverty, you know, for equal rights, for better patient outcomes, that is the way that we should be looking and thinking about why these types of actions are taken versus the fact that, you know, we're trying to abandon ship or, you know, it's illegal. That, that, that for me, wouldn't stop me from doing the right thing because there's lots of things that are illegal. You might have to do something illegal to do the right thing. Right. And because we're such a woman-dominated profession, this is just going back to the silencing and the fear-mongering. And what was drummed into my head over and over and over again was that there's no strike and there's no lockout. But who's to say that things couldn't change? We are in unprecedented times, as we know, and we really need to shake things up because obviously what we've done for the past two plus years has not made a difference. And I just wanted to talk about some strikes that have happened in the states that led to successful outcomes. So um, in June of 2021, Cook County Health in Chicago, the strike lasted one day and an agreement was reached. RNs received pay increases from 12 to 31 percent, and Cook County Health agreed to add 300 nurses. They also added 19 new patient care support positions in several units. Um, then there was another one in June of 2021, Logan Health in, I'm going to say this wrong, Kalispell, Montana. And this only lasted a few days as well, and they agreed to a 7% wage increase for RNs. Then there was one last one that was a Chinese hospital in San Francisco, California. They came to an agreement, and this featured improved compensation and benefits as well as new opportunities for advancement. I mean, obviously, 100% of the time, it's not going to be, you know, a fairy tale success, but there are definitely improvements that can be made. And striking is probably a last resort, but I think we're at last resort territory, don't you, Amy? I I, I would say <laughs> so. Like, I mean, I can't I can't think of any nurse who'd be like, yeah, no, um, we're not at last resort territory. We absolutely are at last resort territory, and everything should be on the table. We hear our governments and other officials being like, you know. We're doing everything we can. You know, we put every offer on the table. Well, why as nurses are we not putting everything on the table? Again, if the main fundamental reason it, that we're striking is because we're seeing reduced patient healthcare outcomes, that we're seeing that, you know, patient ratios are high, we're seeing harm in healthcare situations that can be prevented, then why are we not doing everything in our power to figure out what the next steps may be, right? I think that's where the concerns are lying. Well, I was just going to go back to talking about what exactly happens when nurses go on strike, because I think there's this understanding that we just walk on the job with no notice and we just abandon everything in the middle of the day. But the truth is that a lot of times, um, well, I would say most of the time, there is a written notice um, up to 10 days in advance to the hospital. So there's time to find patients or temporary replacements. And what happens or what has happened in a lot of cases is they use agencies, they use travel nurses, patients are transferred. So it's not like we're leaving people high and dry. We're actually giving notice for alternate arrangements to be made. And we're at a stage right now where we're shutting down entire emergency departments, entire units. So how could we possibly go any lower than we are right now? 
Well, well, we can't. And I mean, I, I think I think the next step is to talk about some precedences. So let's talk a little bit about, I don't know if, if you know much about the United Nurses of Alberta local. Um, I'm trying to remember what the local number is. Anyways, I'll, I'll have to get back to that. But anyways, I don't know if you've heard about the United Nurses of Alberta strike of 1988. Um, it was actually quite one of the most precedented strikes that actually had occurred. I'm actually going to read from this excerpt from it's actually from the city of museum edmonton.ca where they were um, they quoted Margaret Ether, the president of the United Nurses of Alberta, who she was the president from 1980 to 1988. And she said the government can make all the laws they want, but they can't stop people from going on strike. You could get the army out and march them back to work, but can you make them work? You can threaten people. You can maybe threaten to kill somebody if that didn't, if they didn't work, but if they accepted the threat and they said, fine, shoot me, you still can't make them work. That is such a powerful thing to say, right? I mean, I think that this is where nurses are at, but they're still feeling that they can't have these conversations. And I mean, when this strike had occurred, the Labor board, Relations Board was so quick to respond, declaring that holding a vote on the strike action would in itself be considered illegal. Uh, they also said that this had the unintended effect of actually galvanizing more support for a strike among the UNA members. And suddenly the predominantly female group of professionals were uh, that were being told that they weren't allowed, they, they, they said they weren't even allowed to have a vote. And it made for a huge hugely powerful movement and i mean at this time um in 1983 the premier of the time passed a bill called bill 44 making it illegal for hospital employees including nurses to strike and they were kind of they were in month-long negotiations and essentially nothing really came of it and then they decided you know what um during a meeting in 1988 many nurses expressed their dissatisfaction with the government and offered on the no- negotiating table unlike previous years that if they were going to strike that they would be breaking the law and actually at that time the una decided that they would hold a vote in which they would pose the following question to their members are you willing to go on strike for improved offer this is the question that needs to be asked we need to ask folks all across, are you willing to go on strike for improved uh, an improved offer? Anyways, back to the story. The Labor Board's relations was quick to respond, declaring that holding a vote on strike action would in itself again be considered Ill- illegal. And then again, like I said, it galvanized more support. And then essentially what happened was uh, 76% of the membership voted in favor for going on strike, affecting over 11,400 nurses in 98 hospitals across the province. The strike began January 25th and lasted 19 days. I could only imagine how painfully long that would have felt like because think of the think of like what January 25th um, would have been like in Alberta. Freezing cold. Butchers, right? Yeah. One of the striking nurses actually said her name was Cynthia Perkins. She recalled that she said to her husband, don't you dare come out and bail me out if they put me in jail. Just leave me there. And I mean, this is this is the the angst and the, the the grit that these nurses had to make sure that, you know, they were protecting patients and families. Elective surgeries were canceled. Patients were moved to other healthcare facilities. Doctors and other staff had to work long hours trying to keep departments running. 
and many patients were actually sent home early. The only fully functional hospital in Edmonton was the University of, of Alberta Hospital, where the nurses were part of a completely different union. Again, there was that divide of public opinion um, when the strike actually occurred. So there were people that were in support, some folks that were not in support. I, I think that would be, that's just with anything, with any any consensus, any Anytime you're doing anything, and I think you could we could speak to this with the pandemic, like some people just won't be happy with whatever you do. It really doesn't matter. Long story short, essentially what happened was on Friday, February 12th, 82% of the nurses voted to accept an improved offer and return to work. While some were still disappointed that the substantial gains had not been made, others felt that they had achieved at their objective, no rollbacks in terms of health care. It set the tone that benefited nurses during the contract negotiations in the 1990s. Whether the government thought that their strikes were legal or not, the message from the nurses were, were clear. They were prepared to fight for fair pay and fair working conditions. The president said in terms of the final outcome, we won the strike. We didn't make significant gains, but it was a lot about respect. We did maintain that they had respect for us to deal fairly with us. We were not afraid. We worked together there was tough. Again, they were slapped with a disgusting fine, $426,750 as a result of the 1988 strike. Many donations came in to cover those costs. But again, what power, right? Essentially, they made a movement. They made change. And there was actually like an Angus poll uh, that was conducted after the strike that revealed that when it came to the question of whether the government should be allowed to ban strikes for essential workers, public opinion hadn't actually changed. 52% of Albertans agreed with the strike ban for nurses. And I think that's such that's such a shame, right? But I think that if we don't ask questions, we don't have those tough conversations that we will never know what that outcome might be. Yeah, that's really inspiring. I wish that this was the kind of stuff that we read about and learned about in nursing school. Right. Were these success stories. And the fact that I think that what I take most away from that story is that it's about coming together as one. We're going to fight together. We're going to band together. We have strength in numbers. It doesn't matter what the outcome was. It was like, what did we get out of it? So I learned from this story that, yes, they got fined, but there's there's a way around it, right? It's not like, I think we just have to change this mentality of we can't and that's the end of the story. It's like, let's get creative. Let's think of solutions. They got donations to cover some of those fines. And I think in a lot of areas, that's probably the number one reason why strikes haven't happened is we're so worried about this fine or doing something wrong or stepping out of line, not being good nurses that we're supposed to be even though we're suffering, right? We're, we're, losing, we're losing nurses left, right, and center. But no, we've got to just get in line and do what we're supposed to do no matter what. And it's just, it's the time where it's now or never. Like, we've got we've to do something. We've got to band together. And I think that's a great story. And I hope, that, I hope that people listening can take something from this and start their own movement or start to question what's happening in their organizations and, you know, why is something a certain way? Because it's not as set in stone as we think it is. It can always change, right? We just need the right people to get involved. Yeah. And just, and, and not to stop having these conversations. Like I think that, you know, there are many advocates out there that talk about the history of striking in, in Canada and other places of nurses. And it's, it's like these boogeyman stories that we don't hear. Like, why do I have to dig up the fact that these things actually occurred? And, and, you know, the other one that, 
that I found really, really um, surprising was there was a huge Manitoba nurses strike and they were essentially forced to go back to work um, February 1st, 1991 after 31 days. And they considered this to be the longest strike in the Canadian history. And the Manitoba nurses were um, struck for the same reasons that of their, you know, of their sister nurses, or I should say, or their, uh, their fellow nurses in Quebec, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and BC with these same things. They wanted better wages, better working conditions, better patient outcomes, more power. And this is the reasons why, you know, nurses continue to have these conversations today. I'm really concerned for those folks that say, you know what, we can't even talk about this. That's the worst thing is the silencing is like not even being able to have a conversation to simply understand. It's not not because, you know, you're trying to create trouble, although sometimes maybe you are. But it's just like I want to know. <laughs> it's like I just I want to know. And why should I be shot down and why should I be vilified? Because I just asking a question. I want to understand. And going back to, you know, why people get defensive when you ask questions. Is it because they're trying to hide something? Is it because they don't know? Is it because you're not worth their time to find the answer out? I don't think we should ever stop asking questions. And, you know, if I have a question, even though it's a dumb question, I'm sure a lot of other people are wondering the same thing, but they're afraid to ask. So I'm asking for those people who are afraid or, you know, they've got they feel like they've got something to lose. You know, this is just how I am. I, I want to ask questions. I'm sure you're the same way. Yeah. I mean, again, I think I think that, you know, when this when all of this kind of went down, when we were kind of asking questions, I think that premise of just being able to ask, it's it's fair. And for someone to just say, well, you know what, it's illegal and there's nothing we could do. I never believe that there's nothing we could do. There's always something we could do. There's always some other legal loophole or some other conversations that can be had to say, how can we make this a possibility or, or is this worth, uh, is this worth doing? Or, you know, asking the members, asking other individuals, but I'm always, always super concerned when we think about shutting um, conversations down. And I think that, you know, if there's anything that we could take away from this conversation is the importance of continued having continued conversations and to say, you know, like, what are the things that, we care about? What are the things that we value? What are the things that we stand for? What are the things that we take for granted? I think it, one of the things that, you know, when we say that it's illegal, I think we take for granted finding out the history behind why it's illegal and who made those decisions to put that in place and, you know, continue to question the morale and ethics behind all of that. I think it's just important to continually, continually ask questions. And I think I I remember when I was a child, my mom used to call me, I think I've said this before, she called me her little elephant because one, I was loud and two, because I always had an inquisitive mind. And I think that as nurses and as healthcare providers, we need to continuously ask questions. Taking anything, anything off of face value is not how we should be operating. Again, we watched through the pandemic where, you know, there was a lot of misinformation, a lot of information that was spread falsely. We need to go back to our roots at understanding, you know, one, the root cause of why things occur, and two, making sure that it's scientifically based and it's based in facts and knowledge. We can't just be like, you know what, we can't do this just because this individual said so. And we should never accept the fact that this is the way it's been and this is the way we're always going to do it. 
100%. We can't operate that way anymore. Healthcare is supposed to be innovative. We're supposed to be research and evidence-based. And that is some that is an answer that should not be acceptable anymore. I just, I think there needs to be some more open communication. So when we ask the question, why can't we strike? We're just looking for information and maybe a few choices. Like maybe there could be a discussion had saying, you know, these are our choices in terms of how we can get some real action happening. And, you know, this one involves a fine. This one involves a smaller fine. This one involves no fine. Um, and just going back to history, like what has happened so we can draw from that and make just some more educated information that we give our members so that they understand and communicating to members in different ways. So not just emails or newsletters, but going on social media, making videos, just being more accessible to members, meeting them where they're at. Yeah. I mean, again, I think this is where we we think back to the beginning of the pandemic, right? I think that, you know, there was a sense where we were considered heroes at one point in time. And, and I think we've seen this a lot of times where, you know, people say we went from heroes to zeros. This is a global issue. Like I said, we were seeing nurses striking in the UK and in other different places in the world. There were some nurses back in 2021 across the US that were picking picketing over severe understaffing issues, inadequate information amidst during the uh, the pandemic. These are the things that we have to we have to care about. I believe that this particular strike that happened in the states it was actually um, the second longest nurses strike in Massachusetts history, and the hospital had to bring in replacement nurses throughout the the, the strike and ended up spending more than thirty thousand dollars a day on police coverage during the strike and during this period of time. We have to think about what's happening with nurses. Why would nurses ever get to this point? Nurses were going home crying at night crying in their cars, staying late, working through breaks, feeling that the the workload was not fit, inadequate staffing, being so frustrated, not knowing how they'll continue to keep up with this work. To the fact that there were some nurses who, you know, unfortunately thought that dying by suicide was an option. Like we've heard of those cases. That's devastating. So how do we how do we deal with a situation where, you know, we're seeing all these challenges? We're seeing the understaffing, we're seeing the inadequate equipment, we're seeing the fact that, you know, nurses are continuing to work more and more with less and less, feeling underappreciated, feeling that they're essentially being taken care of and or, you know, the other piece is not being taken seriously. I think that's the other thing, right? I think that... um you know, through this entire time, yourself, myself, other folks have been ad advocating. And it feels like it's not even just that we're not being heard. It's just like the government believes we'll do nothing and that nothing will come of it. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we say that we're going to do, that there will be no change. And I, I could feel the air of that hopelessness amongst so many of my peers. And we have to do something. We have to do something radically different that we've never done before. We have to start thinking outside of the box. And if these are issues we truly, truly care about, I think it's time for us to wake up and start thinking about what options are available. And I think a lot of nurses are, they're at the point in time where they're thinking, I have nothing to lose. Either, you know, something changes or I'm leaving the profession anyway. So which is it going to be? Do you want to try to do something before you leave or do you want to just leave? 
you know. I think uh, also the fact that this is happening everywhere, a lot of governments use that as an excuse to not do anything. Like, oh, this is happening in Europe. This is happening in the States. So so that makes it okay somehow because it's not a me problem. It's a worldwide problem. Right. No, I, I get that. And I think that, you know, the, the concern with that type of statement or that type of thinking is the fact that I, I think, again, that is the denial and that is not taking nurses seriously. I don't know what it'll take. And I and again, I don't want anybody out there thinking Sarah and Amy are trying to start a riot. What we're trying to do is start a conversation, a conversation that I think that is worth having. I mean, at the end of the day, people are going to make whatever decision they decide to make. We can't hold anybody's hand. We can't force anybody or coerce anybody to do anything that they don't want to do. But I think at the very least, the very least we should is encourage conversations about what can we do? What are the steps that we need to take? What are things within our power, within our control? Who are the people that we can talk to that can organize, that know the law, that know the legislation? How can we make sure that patients and families are safe, that nurses are kept safe, that nurses are heard? Because I feel that as time continues to linger on, things are continuing to get worse. Mental health, morale, all of these things are at an all-time low. And I'm feeling the crunch of it too. I'm feeling the pinch and the sting of not being validated. And that is a troubling feeling for all of us who are in these environments working in healthcare. What will happen if we do nothing? If we continue to stand by, I think the end of the day, the main focus should always be to protect patients and families, to protect the public. And we can't do that if we're drowning and dying off ourselves. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself. And I'd be interested if anybody listening has a legal background that could uh, reach out to us, because I would like to understand this a little bit better as to what can be done given um, the current legislation and the situation we're in. I think that's something that we don't claim to have expertise on, but it's something that definitely um, is a gap right now. Absolutely. I, I'd be happy to have anybody reach out and say, give us their ideas, opinions, any of that legalese that could help us have a better understanding of what our positionality is right now because it seems like we don't have a position and I know that there's a lot of folks torn on idea behind what a strike might look like or these different things and again it's about talking it out it's about having conversation and not shutting it down or I've seen some crazy things happen online where people were like oh you know we shouldn't include RPNs we shouldn't do this we shouldn't do that and it's like don't take your focus off of what the most important aspect of the conversation here is. Again, at the end of the day, it's about having conversations and not silencing anybody. And then also just the other important element is making sure that we raise all voices up. You know, there's a lot of people out here doing a lot of hard work, recognizing them for those for that work and that advocacy that has occurred. And I think that, you know, if you only are going to tweet, you know, certain and I don't even think it's just about Twitter, but if you're only going to raise certain types of voices, then you do silence other individuals. And what I have seen, which is unfortunate, is the silencing of racialized voices online when it comes to these types of conversations. Don't shut those conversations down. Don't do that. It's not It's not right at all. And I, I really hope that people will start to take a look at 
what's happening and and really decide to make change because at the end of the day we can't do this on our own we can't do like nursing is one of those professions and i think we've said this many many times sarah that the infighting could be so bad that we get nothing done. We cause ourselves to implode before we make any real movement a lot of times. So sometimes we are our own enemy and pitting nurses against each other is the last thing we need to do right now. We need to come together with a common goal. I'm sure whether you're an LPN, RPN, RN, NP, like we all have the same goal. We want to have better working conditions so that we can provide the care that patients deserve. That's the end of the story. We need to put all of our other issues right now on the back burner because this is the most pressing issue right now. Um, I also wanted to add that if anyone wants to know more about some of the stories that we shared today, we're going to include all of this in the show notes so you can read a little bit more and educate yourself, share some of these links with um, other people in your life so that they can understand what we're going through. Absolutely. Every nurse out there should brush up on their history in terms of the strikes that have occurred in nursing and what, from a historical context, what occurred, what changed, why they, why they happened, when they happened. I think that is a huge part of our, you know, nursing civics 101 that we missed. And I would um, implore all nurses to find out about the strike history or, you know, the legislation history behind collective agreements, unions, non-unions, find all that information out. It's actually quite interesting to, to, you know, learn the history behind all of these different things. You might surprise yourself with learning some of the badassery that went down with some of these nurses. And, and you know, I, I, I always think this. Nurses are badasses, but it's just it takes time to find where that that badassery is. <laughs> and the history of nursing goes way beyond just Florence Nightingale. So let's oh, yes. not just Continue. C- keep going back. <laughs> <laughs> let's not just start and end with that. Absolutely. 100%. Thanks for listening, everyone.